So we are we are uh, in Second Corinthians. Um, so that's where we'll begin in chapter two. But just to kind of reiterate what what Brian said in his prayer uh, with Derek, there's obviously going to be a lot of opportunity uh, to provide support for him, to provide comfort for him, and so I think we ought to all look to ourselves and think about how we can uh, best support that brother. Last week, uh, actually week before last, uh, because of the gospel meeting, we got uh, most of the way done with chapter 2, uh, and so we're going to pick up in, in around verse 11 or 12, actually verse 12, but I did want to go back for just a second, just remind everybody where we were, um, talked about that sorrow over sin, the correct kind of sorrow, a godly sorrow versus a worldly sorrow, godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leads to someone returning from the sin that they were in. And again, the connection here, obviously, back to uh, 1 Corinthians, the book that was uh, written, the letter that was written to them prior around the individual who was with his father's wife, uh, making that correction. But we, we discussed, and we can see later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that that brother um, had repented, had ter- returned, turned from those sins. And so we went on to talk about forgiveness and the need to forgive individuals and how we needed to forgive, uh, how God forgives us forgetting, forgetting those sins and, and turning and, and helping that brother to turn back to, to God so that Satan doesn't take advantage. And it could be taking advantage of the, the church because we're not doing what we're supposed to do uh, in, in forgiving sin, but it also could be in, in lacking that encouragement for that brother, brother falling back into sin or becoming discouraged. Um, one thing I'll point out, so in your lesson notes, if you're looking at them, you'll see 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 referenced. You might have been scratching your head going, where does that, how does that tie into Satan taking advantage? I did the same thing. Um, so if those who have prepped lessons, I prepped, you know, a month or so ahead of time, and I'm coming back going, what was I thinking there? Well, I was thinking I made a mistake on the verse that I was supposed to write down. So it's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 11, not chapter 4. So one mistake, um, uh, I promise you it will not be my last this quarter. Um, but it, the 2 Corinthians 11 uh, references Eve and the trickery that the devil used, tricked her, deceived her. And so uh, we need to make sure that we're not being deceived by our own emotion. I uh, think back to some of the comments that Jason made during his lesson, not allowing our emotion over that sin to override the word what God has told us around forgiveness, but also we need to make sure that we're not being deceived over um, anything relative to his word. And so uh, that was the point with that verse. If y'all were scratching your head going, what does 2 Corinthians chapter 4 have to do with this? Uh, You weren't the only one. So uh, please make that correction. But we're going to continue on unless there are comments around any of the preceding verses in chapter 2. We're going to pick up in chapter in verse 12 in chapter 2 and kind of move forward. Well, I think verses uh, 4 and 5 in chapter 4 does relate to Satan deceiving us because it says the God of this world has blinded uh, So that would be even better if I I said verses 4 and 5 rather than 3 and (laughs) 4. No, no, I appreciate it. 
But yeah, that was the verse I was looking for. But like you said, Bruce, there are there are other verses that tie in, and y'all probably just thought maybe that I'd written the wrong verse and it was further down. But um, but thank you. Other comments. Like I said, first mistake um, won't be the last. I promise. Uh, but I appreciate y'all bearing with me. It's one of those that you put your your lesson sheets together, and also I did print out some more. If anybody didn't get a copy um, and needs more of them, you raise your hand, and, and uh, David will bring you one. But um, you work on those, and you read them, and you read them, read them, and then and then you're in the lesson, and you realize you made a boneheaded mistake. So anyway. Uh, we're going to continue on uh, picking up in chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, what I'd like us to do, as we've been doing with each one of these lessons, is read here, uh, verse 12. And I'm going to read into chapter 3, about three verses or so, um, because I think the thought continues um, into chapter 3. Obviously, um, being a letter, uh, the, the, the thoughts all kind of blend together um, as as um, we look at them, we ought to consider those things. But let's begin in verse 12 of chapter 2, reading from the New American Standard. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ manifested through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma of death to death, to the other an aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we start out in verse 12, uh, Talk, Paul talking about his continued journey in this, this missionary journey. Uh, in verse 12, uh, he came to Troas, the door was open to him. So I think the, the first thing, um, you see God's providence here. You see, even though Paul, as we can read in the following verse 13, uh, was anxious to hear word from um, around what happened with the, the brothers and sisters in Corinth, um, and didn't get that word, uh, was, was uh, distraught because of that, he still had opportunities to preach. And again, I think back to some of the points that, that Jason made relative to Paul and whether Paul was in jail, whether he was in distress, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was um, sent to an island, um, he always... Uh, look for ways to preach and and for those doors to be opened. It wasn't like he was so distraught worrying about Corinth that that's all he worried about. And I think that's something that we need to think about and learn from. Um, oftentimes, this life can can beat us up, can cause us to worry about things, and, and I think that's just the way life is. What we need to realize, though, is is even in times of difficulty, 
there could be opportunity to teach, to preach. Uh, and you look at the example of Paul, regardless of what he faced, uh, regardless of the concern that's on his mind, he was always thinking about spreading the word, about expanding the kingdom. Um, and so even though his concern caused him, as we see in these verses, to continue on to Macedonia, um, he took the opportunity, even in his time of concern, his time of worry, to preach the word. And, and again, giving, giving credit to God, doors were open to him. Uh, and I think that's, if we look for those open doors, they're going to be open for us. But if we're not looking for them, they might be still open, but we're not taking advantage of it. So I think it's just a great example for us to think about relative to, to our work in the kingdom. Um, he continued on, traveled um, from Troas to Macedonia. Um, if you remember, all of this is happening in that Acts 19 time frame. Uh, and so in all likelihood, that the exit from Ephesus uh, was because of the um, the... The uproar that happened there, uh, departed Troas, left for Macedonia, again in that Acts 19. Uh, we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, that he found Titus in Macedonia. Uh, one just kind of side note, what we have to just, I have to keep going back to my notes. Acts 20 references a, a visit to Troas. Um, in all likelihood, and I think the scriptures support this, that visit to Troas in Acts 20 is a second visit to Troas after he's been down to Corinth. And so just trying to keep straight in my mind and hopefully helping you guys from a timeline standpoint, uh, the Acts 20 verses 1 and 2 verses 5 through 12, the reference to Troas there is, is in all likelihood the second visit. Um, so at this time in, in verse, these following verses, um, after verse uh, 12 and 13, we see more of a transition away from dealing with um, these brother, this brother that's in sin, kind of back to defending himself, back to defending the gospel, defending the authority of his word. He picks back up um, in 2 Corinthians 7 around this issue of the brother in sin and addresses some of the, the points around that. So there's a little bit of an interlude, stepping away from that through these, these coming chapters. And so before I, I transition into that, uh, that talk or that section of his, his words, any comments around um, Paul's preaching, around Paul's teaching? I just wanted to say that, um, you know, you talk about opportunity, Paul preaches, preaching um, although he was afflicted. And sometimes um, people will come up to us in public that haven't been to church or that have fallen away from church. And we may not be feeling good that day or something like that, but they'll come up to us and they'll be like, I remember you, brother. I remember how kind you were to me or how sweet you were to me. That's an opportunity to tell them that they are welcome back into the fold anytime they want to come back home. And that's an opportunity that I've had many times. And actually, people will come back and people will be like, I, I, miss, I miss the comfort I get from being with my Savior. And all you got to tell them is, anytime you want to come back home, you can come back home. And that's, um, that's something that we can do 
and you know, just just a small thing like that, or somebody will come up to you and say, "Can you pray for me?" or something like that. So little things like that will encourage people to come to church, come back, and then will save us, save their soul. Yeah, very good. So continuing on on the latter verses of chapter two, Paul starts speaking about. Um, this fragrance, this aroma, and I really like kind of the imagery that he's, he's presenting here. Um, when he's talking about the aroma of death to death, the aroma of life to life, what's he, what's he talking about here? Uh, that's one of my questions, the thought questions. We're going to spend a couple of minutes there, but anybody have thoughts on that? Well, Christianity brings life to those who accept Christ and live it, but it's death to those who reject it because there's salvation in no other name, Acts 4.12 and John 14.6. Yeah, so, yeah, the, do you have, no? And that's what we're going to look at, a couple of verses here, aroma of life to life. And so I think the first thing that to think about is, is Paul makes the reference or or says we are. And so I think here, first of all, he's talking about himself or the apostles. But I think we can expand that and say in in relation to some of the thoughts we we were just discussing around our job as far as spreading the word and spreading the gospel. That word is what provides that life. If we aren't out working and spreading the word, we aren't that aroma that we need to be to the world, spreading the word. But similarly, if that word isn't spread, without the word, there's death. Without the, the, um, the sinner turning back from their, their sin and turning to the gospel, there's that sin. Uh, and there's, there's death. Um, so to those who are perishing, an aroma of death. And I, we can look at a couple of these verses. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, first of all. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, to the point, through Christ, uh, through his word, we're made alive. Uh, through the gospel, we're made alive. And, and um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. And so we were dead in our sins, but we're made alive uh, through Christ, through his word. And I think that's what Paul is saying here is through, through the word, uh, it can either be an aroma, the word, his teaching, the, the, um, the things he's sharing with these individuals, it either can be an aroma that leads to life, an aroma that leads to death. Um, I, I think we can also look, I'm not sure what I've got up here, but Revelation chapter 21, looking at kind of the other side of it. Um, when we think about death, obviously it's not going to necessarily be a physical death, we're talking about a spiritual death. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, 
but the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, so the immoral persons, the unrepentant persons, those that, that don't obey, those that don't do what needs to be done to make their life right with God, who don't turn to that grace and that mercy that was dis- discussed in Ephesians chapter 2, their part is with the, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, the second death. Um, so you see kind of that that two sides, death, life, aroma um, of death, aroma of life. And he continues this idea in chapter 3, comparing the old law to the new law and the and the um the benefits are the the supremacy of the new law um again aroma of death and aroma of life any thoughts on that any additional thoughts on that before we we move on let me get him first and then i'll get you brian so the uh, it seems like a comparative statement maybe um the aroma, uh, how it uh, how it is taken, how, how it is received by those. If they are saved, then it is life. Mm-hmm. If they are perishing and, I guess, rejecting it, it's it's terrible. It's um, offensive to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think the the other the other piece, and I don't know if I wrote the verse down, but in kind of doing some follow up study. There are other verses. Okay, I got one already. There are other verses that talk about how that aroma or how our our sacrifice how our offering is received by God you know and I so I think there's some parallels there is is not only how we're receiving it but but how we're reacting to it and how we're obeying and how we're doing what we're supposed to or not doing what we're supposed to it's going to determine how it's received by God is it a is it a, a sweet aroma or not so I really keyed in on verse 14, and in the New King James Version, it uses that word diffuses. Mm-hmm. And I just think about the idea of the spread, specifically mm-hmm. as it relates to the spread of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you think about a scent, you can have something really, really small, mm-hmm. but it can diffuse and it can spread throughout an entire room, throughout an entire home, you know, and not, and not that long of a period of time. Yeah. I see a lot of parallels there to what Paul is doing, say, hey, we had this incredible opportunity, and God used us to spread and to permeate all throughout this area, but scents are subjective. You know, there are some times where, you you know, to some people, this scent is wonderful. It's beautiful. They love it. And some other times you walk up and you smell something, you're just, you're completely turned off by it. And you can see that same parallel to the spread of the gospel. To some, this was the hope and the good news they've been waiting for. And to others, they were immediately turned off by it. Yeah, very good point. Um goes on to talk at the, the end of verse 16 and say, and talking about this life and death and the divisions um, between those who are obedient or disobedient, who receive the word, who don't receive the word, and who is adequate for these things. And so I think it's, it's we're going to see and we'll talk about it also in, verse, in chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6, where he talks about the adequacy is not in ourselves. Uh, and so I think what he's saying here is, is he isn't adequate to determine life and death, to determine um, obedience and judge obedience and sin um, in the, that sense. But through God, through Christ, through the Spirit, 
um, he's made adequate. Um, and again, I think part of this might be referring back to um, those teachers that are that were in error, trying to convince them and pull them away, pull the the church at Corinth away. Uh, potentially saying that they are able to judge that right and wrong uh, and were able to say they needed to go back in and take on some of those things that are within the old law. Uh, But Paul is saying he's not adequate only through Christ, only through God, only through the Spirit is he adequate to present those things. And so, um, again, um, thinking about his sufficiency comes from, from God, and we'll, we'll circle back to that. He's not peddling the word of God, verse 17. And again, I think that if you think about some of the, the initial comments that I made in introducing Second uh, Corinthians, you think about the atmosphere that was happening at Corinth, the background that was happening uh, in Corinth, not the church, but in the city. Uh, There were those that were professional speakers. There were those that were getting paid to be orators. And so some of that might play into this kind of comment. But even beyond that, from a worldly sense, um, this isn't a new idea. You know, peddling God for for money um, or peddling God for peddling Christianity for profit. And we can turn over to, let me hit my button. We can turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, um, verses 3 through 6. Um, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 6. Um, if anyone advocates a different doctrine does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and are doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understanding nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicion, constant friction between men and a depraved mind, and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Uh, so you see there, but you can also look back in the Old Testament. I, I thought about it's up there. No, Jeremiah uh, chapter 6, the prophets and the priests were greedy for gain. Micah 3, the priests taught for pay. Uh, the prophets divine for money. So you can see, and we can all think of examples in the Old Testament, where prophets, where priests did what they weren't supposed to for money. Um, so Paul's not implying, uh, as we know and we've already studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that a, that a preacher can't um, support himself through preaching the gospel. Um, but with this point or the, the point in Jeremiah or the point in Micah or the point in First Timothy, these individuals were not looking to support themselves. They were looking at preaching the word. They were looking at godliness and righteousness for gain alone. Uh, and they were on top of that twisting the word to fit what they wanted rather than presenting the the word as God would have it to be presented. So Paul goes on to say here, um, he's presenting in all sincerity. He's presenting the word in verse the latter part of verse 17, from God we speak in Christ and in the sight of God. It's not for gain. It's not for uh, something that would appeal to them. You think about some of the passages, itching ears they heap up for themselves, teachers. It's not, they're presenting God's word uh, with all sincerity, God's word in full transparency uh, to the church at Corinth and to all people. Um, And so 
Uh, I think it's interesting, again, the imagery that Paul uses here, the, the fragrance and the peddling the word, selling the word, uh, really powerful pictures in our minds, or at least in my mind, as we look at it. So we're going to transition into chapter 3. David, um, any other comments as we transition in? I just wanted to say, um, that's like today, um, there's lots of churches that offer entertainment and and lots of fun things to do and everything, but they're not scriptural and they're not, they're not, they're not doing it for the salvation of souls. They're doing it so they can make a profit. They're doing it so they can gain money. And just like back then, that was a, a sin. Today, it's a sin too. But unfortunately, people like that feel-good sermon, and they don't like to hear about anything but feel-good stuff. And it's very appealing to go to a church and hear an uplifting sermon. But when you can't have a sermon that gives you in-depth and correction and the truth, um, it's not it's not good because it te- it doesn't teach you anything about God. Yeah. It just teaches you to feel good. Yeah. Very good, John. Back in First Corinthians chapter nine, you've got a reference there. Uh, Paul, in defending himself, he says, "Or do only Barnabas and I have not a right to refrain from working." When Paul was in Corinth, though he had the right to be supported by the gospel, he didn't do that. He and Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, and they worked with their own hands to support themselves. In verse 12 of that chapter, he says, that I may cause no hindrance to the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that tells you something about Paul's heart and his motivation. He was there to preach the gospel, not to make a dollar. Yeah, and... And he took support from other congregations, as we can see, but he didn't take from, I get it, from Corinth. And so he had the liberty to, and the right to take that pay, but he, he didn't use that uh, right, that liberty. And so I think it's a, another great point that, and it's true of, of all things in our lives, if, just because we have the liberty, the right to do something, if it hinders the gospel, then we should be willing to, to sacrifice those liberties, those rights. And even though I'm sure Paul, his life in Corinth would have been far more, far easier if he had accepted that and far, um, I guess, more focused, but he knew, and some of it could have been his wisdom, some of it could have been a wisdom coming from God, that by giving up that right, it would it would um, further the gospel. And so I think that's a a great, great point. So continuing on, uh, we talk, we see in the first three verses that we've already read, Paul talking back, uh, circling back to this idea of commending himself or boasting of himself. Uh, Reading between the lines, you wonder, has the the church uh, asked for some kind of letter of recommendation here or commendation? Uh, But he turns it around on them and and points to them, points to the church, points to their faith as that letter um, of commendation for him. Obviously, he um, had a close relationship with them, uh, was integral in the starting of the congregation, if not uh, the person who started the congregation in, in Corinth. So... Um, they are his letter. They are his commendation. Um, I thought about, in fact, I might have already forgotten to 
click my... Um, I thought about uh, 2 Corinthians, if we skip on ahead to uh, chapter 11, um, and looking at those that might have prompted, um, prompted him or asked him for that letter. Um, you think about those, those false teachers, uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians verse 20, for you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. Uh, to my shame, I, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect, everyone else is bold. And so, you know, he's pointing, I think, in this in these verses to what those individuals are doing. They're turning and trying to have direct the congregation in Corinth back into slavery, pushing them back into that slavery under the old law. And Paul is saying, I'm presenting, going back to the last verse in chapter two. I'm presenting God's word with all sincerity, uh, in full transparency, speaking only the word, uh, not trying to burden you beyond what God's word says, whereas these false teachers who may have come with letters, who may come with these, these letters of recommendation, these letters of com- uh, commendation, are trying to enslave you again. Um, and so you see Corinth as the evidence of his work. Uh, the fruit of his his labor, uh, the fruits of his work, um, they are his letter of recommendation. Uh, think back to we made reference last a couple weeks ago to First Corinthians nine verse two. They are his seal of apostleship. They are his um, uh, proof of his work. Uh, and so again, Paul's just turning this back around on them and saying, you shouldn't be asking me, I'm paraphrasing in Jason's words, you shouldn't be asking me for this letter of recommendation because you are my letter of recommendation. Um, so continuing on, um, three, this is the latter part of verse 3, um, I think it's interesting, it, um, verse 3 in chapter 3, um, but with the uh, Cared for us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart, or of human hearts. Um, and he's going to go on la- the latter part of this, ver- this chapter, um, what, verses 7 and following, to talk and compare the old law to the new law. And I think this is kind of that, that introductory comment around that. But again, I think the imagery really... Um, is, is powerful when we start thinking about what these false teachers were trying to do and pulling them back into the old law. Paul is paralleling or comparing um, what he's providing, what Christ provides, versus what the old law is providing. Uh, his word, God's word now, Christ's word, is not written with ink, not written on stones. Again, pointing back to um, the, the stone tablets with Moses. Uh, but written on, um, written by the Spirit of the living God on tablets of the human heart. And so we can look at John 6, verse 3. It's the Spirit who gives life, not the Word, not, not the old law. Um, the Spirit through the new Word, the, the new law gives life. And so continues on um, in verses, um, verses 4 through 6. Um, in talking about Paul's, back to where we were talking about at the latter part of chapter 2, his adequacy, his commitment, his dependence, 
is in God, not in man. Um, you, again, we looked in verse uh, 16 and 17 in chapter 2 uh, around how his sufficiency and his, his focus is on the new covenant. His sufficiency comes from God. Um, and, and in these verses, verses uh, 4 through 6, confidence we have through Christ towards uh, God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Again, comparing the letter being the representation of the old law, kills versus the spirit representation of the new law gives life. Uh, and kind of going back to John 6, verse 63, the spirit is where we find life, spirit through the word. So the old law delivered in ink, the new law is delivered by the spirit. Uh, the fleshly things, when we think about it, fleshly things can't save. Um, fleshly things can't give us life. Those stone tablets, those, the old law can't give us life. Paul puts trust in the Spirit and in the new law, uh, puts trust in God. Um, and so we see him directing them, not from himself, but from God. Um, so, um, again, going back and looking at, at and thinking about this parallel, he continues in verses 7 through 11. Let's read verse 7 through um, 11. Um, and look at these verses. Chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came from with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of the condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case had no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So again, thinking about the old law, that which was passing away, that which was fading, um, versus the new law, which will never fade. Um, let me see. I'm going to go back and stay here for a second. Um, we see that, um, maybe not, parallel uh, that comparison, the old law versus the new law. Uh, and again, I think back to some of the comments that Jason made uh, during, I think, his last lesson on Friday night and, and how the Israelites reacted to, to Moses um, as he came down and, and needed to shield his face as he received those uh, those stone tablets with the law came down they reacted in fear uh, seeing the glory of God seeing the power of God reflected through Moses's face but also uh, that law um, the sin that was presented to them the sin that they were in um, that they reacted in fear um, and so I, I think it's interesting that he he made those points as we're coming into this this section of 2 Corinthians. Um, the new law lifts that veil. The new law removes that separation between us and God. Um, and, and the old law was fading. The new law never fades. I think the other thing that's, that's interesting is 
under the new law, that separation between us and God, again, maybe of a different veil, has been removed. It makes me think of um, Ephesians chapter 2. I think I've got it up there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Those who were previously far away been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made the group, both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Again, a little bit of a different veil that's spoken to there, that the veil and the, the, um, the temple, but I think it makes me think about all of those things, those, those divisions that were happening with the old law. Goes on to say here, talks about the glory that was the old law. So the old law provided them, you know, glory at the time, but now is surpassed by the new law. The old law um, served a purpose. It brought us, as we know the, the, the verses that say, a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. Uh, and, and, it, and it provided at least a temporary salvation for the Israelites. But it goes on to point to how much more glorious the new law is, how much more glorious um, that the the word of Christ is um, doesn't fade away; it remains. Um, the and, and in verses seven and eight, uh, the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. And you think about Hebrews ten verses one through four, talks about how the blood of bulls and goats didn't remove those sins, but was a reminder of those sins every year that rolled forward the sins. Uh, but we know in Colossians chapter 2 that through Christ, that, that debt, that debt of sin was canceled uh, and the old law was nailed to the cross. And so through Christ, again, the more, more perfect um, law, the, the better law, the, the more supreme law was brought and, and more glorious as is laid out here. Um, Verses 9 through 10, it talks about condemnation versus righteousness. The old law taught men and made them conscious of their sin. Uh, Romans chapter 7 worked death in man because it couldn't take away sin. Um, And like I said, in verse 11, it talks about the old law passing away, but the new law uh, remaining forever. Uh, Christ is that greater, Christ's word is that greater system of salvation through grace, through faith, through the mercy that we gain through his sacrifice, a better hope through which we come nearer to God. Uh, So, again, going back and thinking about what was going on in Corinth at the time, these false teachers were trying to pull them back into enforcing the old law. And you think, I thought about Galatians chapter 2, if we go back to the old law, then Christ died needlessly for no reason. Um, the old law was done away with. Um, and so we, they, are under the new law now. And so um, thinking about application for us, um, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of a tendency to go back under the old law and start trying to bind circumcision or start binding other things under the old law now. But I think we think about the application for us. There could be a tendency for us to fall into um, error that's taught by some. Uh, Get away from the authority that's been given to us in the new law. Uh, And that can come from within, 
within this group here. It can come from without. It could be, could be error that you were formerly in as a sinner, as one that's estranged from God, and you're wanting to get pulled or are being pulled back in by those friends. But I guess more concerning to me is that that's coming from within or from, from brethren, I'm saying in air quotes. Um, the minor departures from the word that lead to, to larger things. Uh, the minor departures, even though I'm saying minor, they're not minor. Any departure from the authority that's been given, um, it, it leads us down the road that leads to that, that separation from God, as, as um, Jason pointed out on, on Friday night. And so I think about the application here that we need to be very careful that we don't fall back into um, our old ways, that we are transformed, and we're going to look at that at the end of this chapter, uh, being transformed into that image that we, we need to be pursuing. We need to be very careful that we don't say it's a minor departure. Uh, you know, It just has to do with money. That's not that big of a deal uh, when it comes to church decisions. Now, any small departure... Um, even though I'm calling it small, it's not small to God. Uh, and so we need to be very careful as we're making decisions around what we're looking to for guidance, for authority, that we are holding to the law. Uh, you think about what Paul is, is dealing with here with Corinth. They had addressed some major issues already, but they're still struggling and maybe some of these, I'm saying it in air quotes again, smaller issues, um, but it's obviously not small issues. And so we can sometimes focus on big issues and get those addressed and think we're good. But we need to be very diligent to make sure that we're serving God as he would have us to serve him. That we're looking to his word and his word only for authority. Not looking to others, preachers, uh, friends, um, looking solely to his word. Do we have minute or two. So I'm going to probably just pause there. It's kind of a good stopping point. We'll continue on verses 12 through 16 and talk a little bit about um, similar comparison, the old law to the new law, the veil, um, and Moses will circle back to that a little bit more and then continue on and finish up chapter three um, next week. So I appreciate everyone's comments.